G'day leaders. In this podcast, we got to speak to the wonderful Annie Bryce. Annie is the CEO of Edge Early Learning and just this week has won the award for most influential child development CEO at the APAC Insider CEO of the Year Awards. Um, we get to talk to Annie about authenticity and what that means in leadership, how she was able to carve a career by saying yes and seeing nothing as insurmountable. She talks about asking for feedback as a leader and also the importance of communication. Enjoy. Why did it count backwards? I know that we're now recording. <laughs> what? Hello, Captain. <laughs> what I Come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. So, leadership, life, and everything else. Yeah. Am I live? No, we're recording. All right, we're recording again. <laughs> Joining us today is Annie Bryce, who is the CEO of Edge Early Learning. And uh, we have Annie with us tonight because, or today because I know Annie from uh, Kindicare, where I work with in, within the early learning sector. And when I first met Annie, I was very impressed by her journey from where she started from school to where she is now. And just the way that uh, Annie holds herself, conducts business, empowers those people around her, especially women. And just she's very relatable but um, very open about her journey and, yeah, just a lovely person as well. So welcome, Annie. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, Annie, I I know where you started, but would you mind telling the people who are listening where you? So you're currently the CEO. How did your journey start? Uh, so when I left school, so I was in the born in the UK, and uh, I was at uh, a all girls boarding school from the age of ten. And um, which I absolutely loved. I had a fantastic time there and made some incredible friends and had amazing experiences as well. And um, after school, I took a gap year and I did a secretarial course to start with because I didn't really know what I was going to do, um, except I knew I wanted to go traveling. And I earned some money, um, went off traveling through Indonesia, Hong Kong and Australia. Nice. And then went back. Um, I had a place at Newcastle University in England uh, to study agribusiness management and marketing, which was a joint honours um, science degree. And um, I spent three three years there. Um, what, what is agribusiness? Uh, it's basically the business side of agriculture. And um, it is all about things like diversification and um, really preparation in um agriculture as a business and um, I had subjects such as pigs and poultry and crop rotation right. so it's very some very hands-on agriculture. Oh, P&P, pigs <laughs> and poultry, yes. yes. yes, yes. Well, my first husband I met at university and he was studying ag agriculture and animal husbandry was one of his favourites. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah it was a really varied degree. I had uh, three years there. Um, marketing was one of the you know, obviously the 
a, a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I came out of that with a 2-1 um, and um, decided to take another gap year because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I thought that I, well, I had hoped that I would go to law school and my eldest brother was a lawyer at the time and um, I aspired to be like him, I suppose. Um, I have two brothers. Um, both of them have been incredible uh, influences on my life. And um, yeah, I decided to do law, but it um, gave me the opportunity to take a second gap year, which not many people get to do. Nice. And so... Um, I managed to get myself a role at um, a law firm in Sydney. So I set off um, from England and uh, worked as a paralegal. So what did your family think about you leaving to come to Sydney or Australia? Um, I think they were a little bit shocked at first. Um, I think they were concerned that I didn't have a job and didn't have anywhere to live, but I did have a job and I quickly found somewhere to live. So Was it Bondi? Uh, no, it was Balgaula, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're a posh pomp. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, but it was great. I didn't know anyone there. I lived with two Australian girls and, um, yeah, really sort of lived the Aussie Sydney life and mm. uh, worked there um, and came back to England to start law school in London. I was two years at law school and then uh, got a job at a law firm in Westminster where I did four rotations, um, commercial property, um, ecclesiastical law, which not... What is no, ecclesiastical wow. law? Wow, okay, yes, I was going to ask as well. What is, what is that? Uh, it was a very specialist uh, p- part of the law that um, because of the firm that I was at at Westminster, they had a office underneath Westminster Abbey. Wow. And um, ecclesiastical law covers all sorts of religious laws not something i'm particularly involved in but yeah. it was There's an extreme religion apparently so <laughs> yes um the dioceses uh, are huge uh, commercial property owners and yes. um so that was a great um introduction to commercial property for me actually mm. um so after that time i met my now husband paul um and we moved out of london and um lived in um, Essex and I worked in a firm um, for, well, not for, but with um, a fantastic, most inspirational woman I've probably ever met called Susan Masters. And uh, she was the only female partner in um, the firm. And she really took me under her wing and um, was a very impressive individual. Um, she's passed away now, but I very much look back at the time I spent with her as a very formative time for me. So, in what, terms of what did she, what like what fit qualities did she have that you looked up to? She had an absolute sense of authenticity in a <clears throat> very male-dominated environment. It, we were doing commercial property law and some agricultural sort of real estate and she was known to be quite a powerful woman but in her behaviors and her interactions with people I'd say there was nothing overly overpowering in her um, behaviors she was firm and assertive but encouraging and made you want to be in her company well one of the definitions that 
that we use for assertiveness is that you say what you mean, but you, you don't say it mean. So you're really you're saying directly what you want to get across, but you're doing it without any sort of emotional background. Is that what is that a similar definition that you yeah. use for assertiveness? Yeah. 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 So she was direct. You knew where she stood at Absolutely. all times. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it it didn't make you uncomfortable. Okay. Um. There was another female partner in the firm that I had to share a room with her, an office with her, because I was a sort of, a, I don't know, third year postgraduate, post-qualification lawyer. Hmm. And it terrified me being in the room with her because she, she was listening to my every call I made on the phone. She was intimidating. Yeah. Whereas the time I spent with Susan, she was like, don't sit in my room. I don't need to keep an eye on you. And So yeah. Susan gave... was senior to this other woman. Oh, no, they were, they oh, were on the same level. Same level. Wow. Yeah. But Susan gave you autonomy. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we had a, a similar story of Michelle's when she used to fly with a particular captain who would hover his hand over her hand on the controls. We called him Sam, small angry man. But um, <laughs> and he would, and everyone knew that it was because he didn't trust, his, like his own ability. He was, you could see he wasn't secure in his own, like being able to take over if required. Whereas other people who were more secure gave you more room, yeah, and gave you the ability to maybe make small mistakes or to you know feel your way yeah. and they would give you a little bit of advice or or you know offer up some maybe try this maybe do that mm. always there to take over if required yeah. but yeah the ones that hovered micromanaged yeah where no one wanted to fly with or, or work with yeah. Mm. yeah well that's that's the exact um i suppose description of susan in yeah. terms of gave me the space to find my feet because i have to say, as soon as you come out of law school, you're not really quite a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you really do need to have the experience to, and, you know, find your way. And she absolutely gave me that opportunity. And, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. At about the time that, well, we decided, Paul and I decided that we would move out to Australia. It was initially only for two years, just to see if we liked living here. And I knew that we would, and Paul's Australian, so um, it was probably a foregone conclusion that we would spend the rest of our lives here. But I um, applied to Minter Ellison and got a job at um, Minter's in Melbourne, and we moved out here um, 17 years ago. And um, yes, I worked in private practice in a large firm, which was different to what I had experienced. I'd always been in smaller firms previously, and for me... I definitely am somebody that I think I feel that I need to make the decision sort of early on if if I'm not feeling comfortable with something. It's not that I wasn't comfortable at Minters. It was that I think I could thrive in a different environment. So I mm. decided to go in-house. And um, that was an opportunity that was afforded to me um, by a guy called Mark Evans and another colleague, Chris Chambers. And... Um, they were running a company called Dental Corporation, and uh, I became the in-house lawyer there. Yeah. So having done commercial property for most of my career, I quite quickly had to become more of a generalist and work more in the commercial side of law and mergers and acquisitions. So that was a really great experience. Again, at times I felt out of depth, yeah. but with really supportive people around me, 
and um, an openness to asking questions when I felt that I needed to. I, you know, soon after, well, seven years there, um, felt very comfortable um, really on working on more of the commercial side, not not necessarily in the legal side of things. So, mm. yeah, it was a great um, stepping stone to what I've moved on to since. We talk about psychological safety and that ability to be able to put your hand up and go, not sure what to do here or haven't seen this before, you know, ask for help or admit that, you know, you, you don't quite know, but you'll find a way. Um, yeah. Is that sort of the thing that you felt or was there? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, I think with everything I've probably done or tried to do in my life so far I think one thing that I've held very true to is be open and honest with a myself about whether it's within my current capabilities and also with others around me to ask questions to really you know be honest and say I, I haven't done this before but I want to give it a go yeah and so that inquisitiveness which I think I bring to most things I think helps in um finding a path through what may be a potential obstacle or, or problem if you are open-minded and open-hearted enough to, you know, be honest with yourself and others around you. Mm. Yeah. It, it sounds like throughout your career, and this is me casting a, an, an aspersion, I guess, is that you've had the tenacity to say yes to everything that's coming away and then have the confidence to feel like you'll find a way to make it happen. Is that is that a fair um, aspersion? I yeah yeah I think it is actually. I think um, I think my parents have always taught me, and my brothers have always sort of demonstrated that to take opportunities when they're offered to you. Hmm. Um, not only that, but to seek out opportunities as yeah. well. Um, I I'm not a shrinking violet in terms of sitting and waiting for things to happen. Um, I do try and, you know, take opportunities to study and um, I was offered the opportunity to do an MBA and which I loved. And that I probably apply to every aspect of my life. The things that I learnt during that course, I apply to every aspect of my personal professional life. Mm. But yeah, so through moving from Minters and going into Dental Corporation and then having the opportunity to be the founding CEO of Edge Early Learning, has been an incredible opportunity that had I said no to, I, or to, if I'd said no to any of those opportunities, I'm not quite sure what I'd be doing now, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's a path that I hadn't planned, but it's a path that I've thoroughly enjoyed mm. um, being upon. To say yes until you get to the ultimate destination. Yes. Nice. I like <laughs> it. I like it. Okay. <laughs> You were telling us that you um, took a while to do your MBA, mm. but you were actually working at the time. Yes. So you could apply it to real life situations and the learning was relatable rather than just an academic to pass a test. Absolutely. I, have, I would say that my MBA, because of the time in my life that I did it, where I was in a, a very busy job and um, working very hard and learning all the time, not only in the role, but learning the academic side of the subjects that I chose in the MBA. 
also had my son during that time. So I was learning to be a mother at the same time as well. Um, and yeah, it was just um, the fact that I could relate to the topics that I was learning about. It's, it's the most studious I've ever been. Like I've never really actively applied myself academically during school. I played a lot of sport and probably socialized a bit too much at university and law school. But my MBA, I absolutely couldn't get enough of because mm. I could understand and appreciate what it meant in the real world um, rather than academic theory that I might have learned at law school. Can I ask you a question about that whole socialising yeah. during your university yes. days? Um, I've, I've, I've got a strong feeling that that's where we learn our emotional intelligence. Right. I think when you're out there at the pub, at the bar, at the uni yep. bar and you you're negotiating with somebody um, yeah whatever it is what are you negotiating what I'm implying is that it's 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 those those outside the academia 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 thank you very much the academia activities where you learn the life skills the social skills the the sociology the, the aspects of human nature that are going to stand you in good stead when you end up in a CEO sort of role would mm -hmm. you like to comment on that <laughs> <laughs> yes i'd 100 percent agree with you that yeah. that is definitely um yeah it's, it's well i personally think that that's a immensely important part of shaping us as individuals mm. uh, if we want to be shaped but yeah i've made masses of friends close connections you know people that i'm in contact with now potentially you know through work contacts and all sorts of things but yeah i i definitely wasn't necessarily in my lectures on time every day yeah. um being the studious one i was probably more the one that was more um playing on the social side yeah well i i firmly believe that the, the skills that you develop in your social life translate to being an effective leader what would you say is the most important or one of the most important character traits of a leader? Some, something that would make you the sort of person other people would be inspired to follow? Um, for me, it's authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, it's being real and genuine. Yeah. I think um, for me, I would find it, I do find it difficult to follow somebody that I don't necessarily trust. Mm -hmm. And I need to have, if, if I think back of all the people that I've um, have been leaders um, in my career in um, the past. Um, there's certainly some that I've learnt how I wouldn't like to be. Yeah. And that's also really helpful because mm. it, it really does shape um, how, you know, you would like to, or how I personally would like to be as a leader. But yeah, authenticity and honesty, I think, are two really important traits that stand out for me. So authentic in that, that you know who they are. They're not going to be yeah. turning up a different person on a different day. They yeah. walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 That, you know, you know, there's a sense of perhaps volatility or vulnerability that people, that everybody has, mm. I think. Um, we'd be naive to think that um, there's not anyone in the world that doesn't have some chink of volatility and i don't think it's a bad thing to show that mm. yeah and um i think to understand that the needs of the people that you're leading or that you may be leading in the future not necessarily that that shapes how i lead i don't consciously try to sort of 
think how I who I may lead in the future. I think mm. it's a natural um, ability. I hope that um, I try to come across as who I am in my day-to-day life professionally and personally yeah mm, so you're not out there as an avatar you're 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 no. your authentic self yep do you have any mentors or um people that you can trust with or ask for advice or lean on or have a cry to or, or a bit of a moan to when you know because you're the ceo you're at the top so yeah who do you lean on or who do you rely on? So I'm very um, lucky to have several people and groups of people. As part of my role at EDGE, um, I was given the opportunity to take part in the um, Commonwealth Women in Business um, conference many, well, about five years ago. And um, through that, I've made some fantastic friends and connections with like-minded businesswomen, all of varied experiences, some extremely um, experienced in business and um, some of the rest of us um, less so. And we've kept in contact over the last five years. And that is a great support network for all of us to call on one another when we need to. And I would always say to anybody um, that is new in a leadership role that having somebody to talk to is um, very important. There's an old adage that it's lonely at the top and Mm. it's quite true sometimes. And so, yeah, having a supportive network around you is very, very helpful, um, but comforting as well. Who's a leader that you've, you don't have to name names, but have you had a leader that you've admired in the past and what have you learned from them? Somebody that's led me personally or, or do you mean somebody or on a... somebody that's influenced you so um i have to say susan the the first female partner that i worked for as a young lawyer um she was immensely influential on my confidence i have to say on my levels of um feeling that i could feel free to um bring my opinion to a table and um, openly talk to clients and really understand what clients need. And I think that's probably one thing that if I did anything well as a lawyer, it would probably be to really understand the needs of my client rather than from the aspect of the, the law firm <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that I was yeah. necessarily working for, which is why yeah. I think I preferred in-house yeah. um, work more so because you weren't I'm part of the client. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was yeah. part of the client. Yeah you know, itself. Yeah. So, yeah, Susan um, was an incredible inspiration to me. Well, what's a mistake that leaders should avoid? Um, that's a good question. I think sometimes leaders feel that they need to talk too much. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think there's sometimes a feeling that because you're a leader, you need to fill the silences or um, take the lead verbally and physically in terms of commanding a room. I'm very different to that. I'm probably quieter in meetings than many others. In fact, actually, I was I remember I was in a um, like a steering committee meeting with the CEO of a big global health fund, and he sort of turned to me and said, Annie, you're not saying anything. Why aren't you contributing? And I said, 
I am contributing, actually. I'm listening. Yeah. And and he said, oh, oh, right. And I thought, yeah, my contribution actually is listening to this because it didn't need me to say anything at the time, but it was that presumption that he had that we all needed to be saying something. And actually, I think there's certain times, I think probably one thing that some people make a mistake on is not thinking before they speak. And I think that's probably an important trait to be cognizant of as a leader, to really think before you speak and to understand the needs of the person you're speaking to and the um, really get to, so that you understand the message coming to you and so that you can then deliver a suitable and appropriate message back. I love that, Amy. I love that. One of uh, my favourite authors, Stephen Covey, uh, he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective, excuse me, uh, of Highly Effective People. And it's it's still one of my favourite quotes of all time, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard it also said as two ears, one mouth, that order, that proportion. You know, yeah, so, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I love the way you've described that. Because I'm, you're, I'm you're, thinking of a, a quote where it's, isn't it there, you, and I, I don't, I can't think of the quote exactly, but it's something about where if you speak like the idiot talks and the the one who listens doesn't or, or a, a fool uh, no one knows a fool if they just if they're quiet but if uh you know a, a bit like i'm doing now <laughs> i don't know the quote we'll find the quote and we'll, yes. and we'll yes. put it in the show oh, notes right. yes. we'll put it in the show notes but yeah no I, I i and i love the energy that you were giving across when you were actually saying that i, mm. I it's it made me feel like that's that's a skill to be reckoned with that 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 when you're sitting there really listening and paying attention you're more powerful than the person who is speaking because you're showing consideration of other people's opinions you're open which shows a sense of confidence and that you're willing to hear other people's opinions. It doesn't always have to be about your opinion. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen I've noticed that with your team. What I know of your team mm. is that they feel heard. So anyone who does feel heard wants to contribute because they feel like they've got skin in the game. They're they're part of the solution. Absolutely. And yeah. That I know from from your team what I've seen is is exactly what happens you know it, people give more if they feel they're valued no oh, so, brilliant yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that so i'm really pleased to hear that um, yeah. that's your um view of having worked with us yeah yeah if you were mentoring a young leader what's a piece of advice that you could give them i think probably be open to adapt and mm-hmm. open to change i think i don't know this firsthand this is me making a um i suppose a not an assumption because i say never assume anything (laughs) um like a generalization making a generalization yeah that i think people if they think they're on a particular path they have to get there and there's only you know one particular way to go and so they'll go down a particular route and achieve qualifications and meet the right people and do the right roles and I think for, I mean, my own journey so far is probably evidence um, that 
you don't necessarily have to be set on a path and that having an openness to um, opportunities that may arise, different um, learning environments, different um, opportunities to improve your knowledge of a particular area or yeah don't if I think if you think you're on one path don't discount any others I think that's probably one thing I would say in that and also if it doesn't feel right Mm. don't keep pursuing it because there's always a different path around obstacles so our tagline is life leadership and everything else so we've really limited ourselves and um (laughs) (laughs) and if I can ask you for some life advice, so not just about leadership, but what have you learned in your life that you could offer to anyone as life advice? That nothing is insurmountable. Mm. Um, I say that because when I, and I say this to friends and the team regularly, is that when you think something is going really badly or feels like there's no way out of a particular scenario at the time it is overwhelming and it feels like it's um There's something no that out. you can't yeah, yeah. you can't overcome then when you look back and i can do that so far and i can look back and everything that i've thought was insurmountable at the time i've actually been able to get through and that may be through assistance on various projects or um you know all sorts of things but I do think that um, having a mindset of nothing is insurmountable um, is helpful because it makes you think of a longer term picture. Because if you think of yourself in a moment in time when everything is feeling like it's a barrier or everything's against you, it's really overwhelming. But then if you then think back about what you have been able to achieve, however small that those Um, things are or incrementally you've made achievements and steps towards a goal if you then reflect back you can see that that there are things that um, whilst they seem bad at the time they're probably things that you've got the capability or the team around you to overcome so Mm. yeah that would be my life advice (laughs) i love it yeah i love it one thing I want to touch on is you are sailing, so you're learning yes. to sail, which I, I am, am very envious of, <laughs> and it's been a, a, a bit of a goal of mine for the last five years, so I I will be sailing soon <laughs> because it's uh, it's very similar to flying, yeah. similar sorts of things, but um, so you, how long have you been sailing for? And, and what have you learned? <laughs> to survive um, obviously well i'm a i'm a true um advocate for getting oneself out of one's comfort zone and so i have learned a lot and um i've been sailing i've done a few sort of learn to sail courses over the last couple of years but i've actually now recently bit the bullet and bought myself a second-hand um, boat. You're a boat so owner. Okay. Yes, small, small boat owner. Yeah. Um, and um, I was inspired by my now eight-and-a-half-year-old son who started learning to sail at six. And I'd always sort of quite enjoyed the idea of thinking I might sail but never have really given myself the time nor the push to do so. 
And so uh, watching our son Sammy sail, I was thinking, oh, well, if he can do it, I can. Yeah. But I'm I'm very much getting out of my comfort zone. Um, I've learned to overcome that sense of, oh, sugar, what's going to happen if this all goes <laughs> wrong? Um, and actually, thankfully, I'm sailing in a lake that's only 1.8 metres deep, so okay, nothing so too drastic. <laughs> so you're, t- you're tall enough to be able to breathe. Yeah, I can okay. breathe. Yes. And has Sammy sailed your boat? He hasn't, no. Mine's a little bit too big for him, but he sails his own boat. Right. Um, and so he's out there as a speck on the horizon. So it's really inspired me to uh, take it on. It's a great um, opportunity to um, switch off and concentrate only on what I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah. I deliberately bought a boat that only has um, one sail, so I don't have a jib and a main sail to deal with. So I've... Uh, thought tactically about um, how to um, enhance my ability to be able to sail the boat and yeah it's something we all do as a family and it's a great time to uh, unwind but also challenge myself Mm. so I never seem to stop challenging myself yeah I know a lot of leaders that sail what is it about sailing (laughs) what what do you learn from sailing that, Um, that seems to be attractive to leaders well my my boat is just a single person so I'm actually sailing solo so I'm not leading anybody but myself mm-hmm. um I helmet and I um yeah it's it's all up to me if it all goes wrong <laughs> the buck stops with me but Which I suppose that happens so yes this is all yes r- rotating back to yeah what I do in day-to-day life but yeah. um but you were yeah. so you were sporty at school. You're still sporty. Uh, I was very sporty at school. Yeah. So tennis, I was tennis player. Tennis. Oh yes. yes. Tennis. Okay. We know this about yeah, yeah, yeah. A, yes. Tennis. A budding professional Hockey. tennis yeah. player. So, no. so who was your sponsor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Wilson. Tennis. Wilson. Yes. yes, but that was when I was very young, and yes, I they sponsored my myself and my team. Um, so yeah, I suppose in terms of leadership, my mm-hmm. I was a leader at a very young age actually throughout school. So lots of captain roles, house captain, school captain, school prefect type roles. Yeah. But then when I went to uni, I didn't have any leadership responsibility at all. So that's obviously where I was forming my building s- your, <laughs> <of> your <laughs> emotional intelligence. I ditched yes. all responsibility. Yes, yeah, give it a responsibility. Yeah. Learn about people. Yeah, learned about people <laughs> and then picked up leadership roles again um, inadvertently or but that's a true yeah. leader because you didn't necessarily chase it. They were bestowed upon you or, or you yeah. were invited to. And yeah, I've yeah. been very lucky in terms of opportunity I've been given and invitations to would you, do things. Would you say it's lucky or that you've said yes to an opportunity that others may not have? Um, probably I've said yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I think that leadership and parenthood are very closely closely related. I think great leaders make great parents and vice versa. Hmm. What have you learned about parenting that you can apply to leadership? That is there time out in leadership? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, I have to say, one. this is unusual because not many people are lucky enough to say this, but I one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life is giving birth. Like it was the most amazing experience. It was empowering. And I, when I, when something is challenging me, I think, well, look what I did there. And, um, yeah, some, I 
went into some mind over matter situation and had the most like yeah it was an incredible experience it wasn't fun but it was an incredible experience that i yeah. think is um yeah something that's well it's powerful isn't it powerful yeah yeah but so yeah in terms of parenting as a leader and yeah my my parents are great leaders for me as were my brothers and still are but i learn so much from sam every single day I listen to him and he gives me feedback regularly. We do a performance review of me as a mum. <laughs> and um, he um, often tells me that I need to sleep more, go to bed earlier. So I'm yeah. trying to uh, listen to his suggestions. I like that, actually. So, I'm so going to ask you, my you've kids. Empowered, you've empowered him to Absolutely. give you performance feedback. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Started when he could talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you wanted to how am I going? Not? <laughs> so okay. how am I going? You do that organisationally and in your family. I do it more with the family rather yeah. than organisationally, organizationally, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't ask Paul the same question. <laughs> how am I going? <laughs> but no, I certainly seek feedback from Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to start doing that. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. You learn a lot of negotiation skills, obviously, as being a parent yeah. as well. No, but I, I know my kids would appreciate, because I, I feel like they have psychological safety at home, mm. but they would appreciate the fact that they could give feedback. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. Everyone wants to give feedback or be heard, don't they? And so yeah. I think asking for feedback on how you're going as a parent is probably a really helpful um opportunity to to hear feedback yeah because people you know other parents your own parents give you <laughs> feedback oh, on yes. how you're parenting yes. but um yeah but hearing mom. it from your yeah. hearing it from your own ch- children is really interesting and helps may help shape the things you're doing and Ooh. how you're feeling if, if we could ask you one last question, I've been trying to formulate this question now since throughout the whole podcast because you've answered so many questions that I already have in advance. Um, but as the CEO, you're, you're in charge and you've got there through saying yes to many experiences, to constantly learning, to learning from other people. If you could leave us with one last leadership message from somebody at the top, Wisdom from from the peak. What would that be? Gosh, um, I think always be honest and always communicate very clearly around what's happening in the business if it's a business setting. Um, because I think if people don't feel that they know what is going on or what is is expected of them. It can be a very um, uncomfortable or um, difficult situation, and it's difficult to want to do something in response to a request if you don't really understand the bigger picture. And so I think honesty and um, asking true questions and telling the truth is probably um, one of the most important things I think you could do as a leader. Mm. Annie, what a wonderful experience learning from you. Thank you so much for joining us. We've, Thank you. We've learned from you and your experience, and our, our leaders will have too. So, very uh, re- inspiring. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you today. very much. All right, our pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
<laughs> well, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> You're the, such a clown. The clown. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Captain. <laughs> <laughs> and who's going to listen to this? Maybe our mums. Thanks, mum. <laughs> <laughs>